Welcome back to the Green Element podcast, where we feature business leaders and innovators transforming their operations to be more environmentally and socially sustainable. I'm your host, Will Richardson, and I can't wait to meet our guest today and help you on your journey of sustainability. Paul, welcome to the Green Element podcast. Thank you so much for joining today. Um, you're from Cotswold Fair. Could you tell us a bit more about who Cotswold Fair are and, um, yeah, a bit more about the company? Yeah, pleasure to be here, Will. Um, so Cotswold Fair is a wholesaler of artisan food and drink. So we buy lots of nice food and drink products from producers all over mainly the UK, a, f- a few things come in from, from outside, and we sell those products to mainly independent retailers in the UK. So there'd be farm shops, delis, food halls, convenience stores, department stores. We'd do a bit with the larger grocers, but uh, generally it's independent retailers. So it's it's we're the middle person between lots and lots and lots of small producers and lots and lots and lots of small retailers which are, are really coming to their own at the moment um, because they're a vital part of the community. So it's been really good to see some of them doing really well in the current pandemic, supplying lots of old people with um, provisions that they couldn't, they couldn't get themselves at the moment. Yeah, of course, because not everyone can buy online. So you do really need to go to your local grocer in order to be able to get stuff. Mm. So some of them have actually started for the first time ever, home delivery boxes, set up phone numbers, turn their cafes into packing areas because obviously the cafes are shut. (laughs) And uh, it's been really good actually to see the adaptability of some of these places kind of coming to to the fore really. A friend of mine runs a um, zero waste shop in Fife and they don't have things online. But you can now email them and ask them for a PDF version of their shopping list. And yeah. You can go through it and then they'll deliver it to It's brilliant. It's kind of like the pseudo online stroke, not online. <laughs> yeah, I've, same. There's a, there's a number of customers who have done the half, this halfway house, which is probably an absolute logistical nightmare for them. But they're, you know, they know it's a good thing to do. So they're, they're cracking on. In fact, it's been interesting to see huge amounts of adaptability at one end and then some places just seem to have oh okay well we'll shut then they don't need to shut their food shops but some of our shops have actually shut just almost put it in the too difficult box and and packed up and gone home yeah so it's extraordinary really i guess yeah yes it's at times like this you do um learn i I guess we should probably talk about the fact that this is during the um coronavirus it's um third of april that we're recording this um, because this podcast will probably go out in about six weeks' time, and hopefully, and we'll have forgotten about the correct. Right. Well, it's not going to happen, is we it? We won't have forgotten about it. No. No. <laughs> hopefully, some things may have changed by then. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope so. So, you um, bring small produce, um, smaller producers uh, than the niche boutique, smaller um, shops, and you are the middleman for that. Mm. Do you, so you deliver throughout the whole of the UK? Yes, um, UK, we do. We do actually export some stuff all over the world, but it's primarily UK and Ireland is our, where most of our customers are. And what, what got you 
what got you into um, this? Is this an industry that you were in before or? Um... No. Um, okay. <laughs> this is a, a, a slightly long story, but I'll keep it brief. So I was, I've, al- I've always had this thing. I mean, this, I, some of the understanding of what I'm going to say now is, is only from now looking back. I didn't get this yeah. at the time, but I've always had this, this thing about justice so after I did a very useful degree in, in zoology, um, which was the only thing you could do was teach the subject or learn more about it after you'd finished, which, okay, uh, that, that wasn't much help. So <laughs> I got um, a sales job for three years. I can talk, so therefore I can sell. So I sold office furniture and, and drinks machines. I did quite well, actually, but it wasn't really where I was at. So what I really wanted to do was to go into in a city and try and change stuff make life better for people um and a group of my friends were doing a a project in in southeast london a place called deptford so um i ended up working there doing that for about 12 or 15 years um in a team doing community stuff kids stuff youth stuff in and out of prisons visiting that was not not being <laughs> hanged up myself um just trying to sort out people's mess and it, it was appalling. So this was in the early 90s I started, so running right through the 90s. Um, it was a complete and utter mess. There were the estates we were working on, the police actually never went on them because they were too scared, basically. In fact, the half our time we were trying to convince people we weren't the police because of these two or three uh, middle-class blokes walking around. <laughs> I thought that we were playing police. <laughs> anyway, um, so... I, I, it was great. We did stuff, things, people's lives got changed. But what I realized was a lot of that was just patching up and it wasn't really changing anything at the foundation of society. Um, again, all from hindsight. But I ended up running out of money. Uh, so I had to do something different. So I thought, what can I do? Um, well, the only thing I'd actually ever been paid to do with, for three years was sell. So I thought, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll buy, I'll, I knew some food producers in the Cotswolds and bought some products from the Cotswolds and to sell them to delis in London right. initially and then Kent and, and Surrey. Again, it was very it was initially very part-time just to support what I was doing. Um, but as time moved on, that got bigger. I got less money coming in for the the charity stuff. So long story short, but ended up setting up a proper business in Reading being a food wholesaler. That was in 1999, hence 21 Cotswold years Fair. ago from today. And then oh. hence Cotswold Fair being... Yes. So initially it was all Cotswold products selling to shops in London. I thought Cotswold Fair seemed like a good name at the time. It then became a very bad name, of course, because people then thought... Where in the Cotswolds are you? And uh, it said Reading, which isn't the Cotswolds. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't work. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But so I I teamed up with a guy. And actually, of our first five employees, uh, we had one guy just come out of prison. We'd had one guy who was an ex-heroin addict. And we had a guy who was an alcoholic, basically. And we thought, well... Let's take these guys on, give them a bit of routine and discipline in their life and try and try and change their lives and also make some money as well. Hmm. 
the making money bit didn't really happen very well though for um a long time and after a couple of years the guy i was doing it with who lived in reading i still lived in london he's he had enough and and, and disappeared so it left me with a business in reading and i lived in the wrong part of the country <laughs> i had to move house <laughs> <laughs> but you're still going today and you're a b corp um yeah. and what what i'd be really interested to understand is i mean that initial story of who you worked with to start off with kind of sets the scene really doesn't mm. it um i'm just interested to know how you heard of b corp and what you thought of it being um a purpose social purpose driven business yourself anyway and how easy you found the transition into it and be interesting yeah. just to explore that journey a bit. okay so well just to fill in a bit of the gap so it started out you know good intentions with the business we, we grew very rapidly the industry was growing you know specialty food was growing so we just grew with it farm shops went from being sheds in fields to purpose-built you know buildings with 50 50 car parking spaces so I'll be totally honest with you. I lost my way probably, and just you know what it's like with a small startup. You're firefighting the whole time, getting sucked into. Have you actually got enough money to pay the wages at the end of the month? Mm. Some months we didn't, and I got sucked into, in effect, a, running the business as if it was a a single bottom line business, which is not what it started out as. So put my hands up there. I kind of failed on that front. When you say but, single bottom line, as in well, just looking at the money. money. Yeah, yeah. All about the money. Yeah. yeah. It's tough. It is tough. I mean, I'm not, you know, it's um, when you're growing also, you're running out of cash regularly anyway. So it's not, even if you're making profit, quite often you're running out of cash. So I'm not making excuses for myself, but we had lost our way. I, I think probably after 10 years, I thought, oh, this is, We've got to be better than this. So we did. We got involved in a a project in in Kenya as a business, which I'll talk, maybe talk about later. But we we'd come to a point where we were outwardly successful, but we hadn't really got that purpose embedded in the business. And in 2014, we put in a new computer system. Uh, went badly, badly wrong, and almost lost the whole business. Um, we had lots of customers weren't getting their orders, were getting them late or getting part of them. It was a complete and utter shambles. In fact, I was only talking to someone the other day and who was in the office um, and during that horrible time. And she said she got downloaded the voicemails at the end of the day in the in the office. There was <laughs> nine, 96, I think she said, messages from customers basically complaining. <laughs> 96 that was from one day's messages <laughs> it's not good so what happened is the the people that kind of weren't with us if you like all left uh, mm. so we lost we lost about half our people the ones that kind of believed in what we we said we were we doing stayed and that in effect was the best thing that happened to us as a business um so painful really difficult but it was the foundation of where we are now. So it was it was about it was probably soon after that time. Um, one of our 
customers was uh, Cook, the frozen food shops. Yes. And uh, Ed was has always been a friend of mine. In fact, we we supplied Cook when they had two shops. They've now right. got over ninety of their own shops. That is, and um, he mentioned B Corp to me. This was either probably end of 2014 or beginning of 2015. And uh, I thought to myself, that sounds far too American for me to be involved in being a good Englishman. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, no, yeah, I had the same problem, but have a look into it. So I did and started to understand more. And honestly, it was a huge relief. It, for me, it's a bit of a cliche probably, but it, would, it felt like coming home. Hmm. suddenly i thought oh my god there's you know there's other people in the world who believe what i believe about business that it shouldn't just be making about making money it should be about making a difference so it was uh, fantastic and uh, we were fortunate in that this was before the b corp uk launched in, in 2015 so i had some nice people in america helping us certify get us over the line so we could be one of the the initial cohort of mm. companies in the UK. So, um, yeah, it was so much um, aligned with what we what I believed. Not not saying I was doing it or we weren't, but it was totally aligned with what I've always believed that that business should be. So it was um, it was a great homecoming thing. Would you mind if we just backtrack slightly to um, your bad time? and hmm. half the people leaving. I, I'm really curious to know how you got around that and what the sort of things that you put in place because you won't be the only company to go through something like that. And it'd just be interesting to know how and whether you still have customers from those days that um, are still with you. Even though... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do. I mean, the, the um, it's a small world, uh, the world we live in, speciality food. So there's loads of customers who uh, who almost didn't become customers at that point and <laughs> left but a state thank god stuck with us and uh, they're, they're still with us today um it, it was it was more i mean we had a lot of people in the business then that were friends of each other and and related to each other um and it was there was all sorts of stuff going on i'd lost in effect lost control of my own business um the warehouse manager just prior to that installation that went wrong um was basically nicking pallets of stock at the weekend and selling it on a at a car boot sale uh he was meant to be uh on the management team so <laughs> <laughs> things were wrong at a, a fairly significant level so in terms of how we we sorted that it, it really was just a case of was well, some of the the people that I knew weren't with me, we found a way of encouraging them to leave, um, all legal, of course, but the rest just left because it was too difficult to be there. Mm. So we we then obviously recruited a lot more of the right kind of people that were going to help us take the business forward. I can't say that it was a great, we were still very much in firefighting mode. It really, it took the business at least two years to, Right. At that point, okay. uh, we weren't systemized enough. We got in. I got in a experienced MD stroke FD who helped us put a lot more systems into the business. And um, that's the trouble when you're an entrepreneur like me. You see, you 
it's all passion and vision and actually sometimes you, you need to put a bit more structure in so um that's that's where i needed help what would you say your business superpower was i think well you're gonna think now that why um why did it go wrong but i would say it's intuition right just generally i mean obviously the example i've just given is an example of that <laughs> generally i've known what to do when to do it i've never ever we have now we've got a proper finance person but for, for probably 15 years we i never had a cash flow forecast right. uh, bank manager's nightmare i am but um i just kind of know oh yeah that you take on an extra salesperson that will work mm. or put in another couple of people in marketing that'll mm. work so it's all very much gut feeling and um yeah i would say if, if i've got one superpower that would be it <laughs> brilliant brilliant i think there's probably quite a few people that we can relate to to relate to what you've just said and it is only when you get bigger that you start to realize you have to have that kind of structure in place isn't it yeah and i think um one of the, i think as you get older which i am now and they're hopefully wiser you you've got a much better idea of what you're not good at yeah and actually i'm not very good at much to be to be honest i can sell but not much else but what i am good at is getting lots of good people who are much better at things than i am to do stuff mm. so i don't really i don't do that much i just <laughs> find other people to do the stuff <laughs> and if they're the right people it all works yeah yeah can, can you tell us a bit about how you engage your staff and or suppliers and suppliers and customers with your mission and purpose yeah so that's um that's probably what's changed most in the last two to three years. So initially the the B Corp certification and you know for, for some people B Corp is is Initially, I don't think it is now because the world's moved on. But at the time, it was, it was not that easy for people to understand what it was. No. I mean, they still don't know what the B stands for, do they? But it's just not A. But um, it's not benefit either, which some people think. But the the nice thing that's happened over the last two to three years is is our kind of B Corp energy and mission is embedded in in people. So a lot of the good ideas now come from within rather than being come from me or even the management team so that's been the best thing that's happened we 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 did that by realizing that doing this stuff top down doesn't work so we created five different change groups within the company mm. and their and the, the only rule was no one on the management team was allowed in one of those groups so each group had a certain target i think we had a couple of environmental ones uh, a people one at a innovation Govern one. governance was one uh no we didn't we didn't actually have that as as one of our groups i mean that oh, is one of the big yeah. things but we had we had we had two we basically had two for environment because we felt we were less strong on that and the community one so that's a governance culture yeah we we kind of had that in in many ways um we scored highest on that actually in the first assessment so that and then that's what is what created the the ideas then started being generated from within the company which is far far 
more healthy than mm. you know it coming from out, out of management meetings so they they basically tell the management team what we should be doing mm. and we don't obviously there's some things that come out you wouldn't want to do all actually we would go out of business if we spent that much money on that mm. you know the whole team sales team having teslas for example um but, <laughs> was that uh, one of the things? No, it wasn't, but it could it have been. <laughs> that would have been brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got one now, but uh, <laughs> only the three. I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford the S. But, um, yeah, so that's that's really helped. So probably for half our time as a B Corp, the first half was was trying to get people to understand what it was, and, and now it's it's a lot more... Uh, organic and comes from comes from within the company mm. in terms of uh, suppliers a lot of i mean food and drink actually is is the biggest sector within b corps in the uk yeah i think there's maybe over 30 now food and drink companies in in the uk out of 247 i think it is so it's a lot of our producers are quite well aligned anyway um we had a wonderful um, supplier conference last year purely focusing on the environment and it, honestly it was one of the best events when I was hosting it so <laughs> it was a pure <laughs> fluke that it was a good event because I just I got in a load of people who uh, who were good at their particular area you know someone from Innocent some from Origin Green in Ireland and the whole thing flowed absolutely beautifully and at the end, literally um, half the room were in tears. And this is a business event. These things don't normally, well, don't, they don't happen in my <laughs> They don't normally end in tears. <laughs> no. I mean, it was not allowed to cry in, in business things anyway until recently. But, um, you know, the timing was perfect. It was after Blue Planet, Extinction mm-hmm. Rebellion had just, you know, launched their protests in London. So it was May, May 2019. And uh, it was a profoundly moving experience, um, and it changed a lot of people's businesses. Um, we made people write pledges at the end of the day. If they could see the bit of paper through their tears, they, they wrote stuff down, which we still got on post-it notes in our, our office, actually, and made them sign a, an inflatable globe. And it was, uh, you know, I'm still getting emails from people who did stuff or planned to do stuff on that day that they've put into their business a year later, nearly a year later now. Brilliant. Um, in terms of customers, that's the disappointing one because retailers haven't been aligned at all. They only care about, generally, only care about the bottom line. It's all about margin. Very little interest in doing the right thing, in my experience. It is slowly starting to change. Um, I've seen a few encouraging signs we won one contract last year first time ever where they said they were moving business to us because of our ethical standpoint went to a couple of meetings of different co-op groups last year one with waitrose at the end of the year and normally you have to go into those and explain what p court was and what triple bottom line businesses were but they they knew that Mm. did that wasn't happening a year ago uh, you know, trade shows, we've had the B Corp logo on our stands for since 2015, 2016. No one's known what it is. Mm. Within the last year now, P 
people at least 10 people per event come and say they're pleased we're a B Corp. you know it so the awareness is growing i think it will move the current pandemic that we're in hopefully will will change things another step change in the right direction one would hope um so yes i'm encouraged about the future but so far being a b corp really has had very little commercial advantage but that's not why we did it anyway we did it because it's the right thing to do oh you would have been asked this question um because i know we were um we became b corp in 2015 and um they often said so how um how has become a b corp has it helped your business i always felt quite bad by going no it hasn't no in fact i probably have to I spend more time in sales meetings because I'm explaining what it is rather than actually explaining what we do. (laughs) So I'm almost promoting you rather than promoting us. No, yeah, that's right. um, But I would say that has definitely shifted now. I think that we've even got a, we vet all of our customers and we've actually got a thing. Does it help that we're a B Corp? Mm. And um, nine times out of 10, they say yes. Um, Every now and again, they say, no, don't care. Yeah. And I'm a, B Corp ambassador with along with various other people and um, since probably September I think a big shift in September 2019 since then I've probably had four or five emails a week from people wanting to find out more about B Corp right and before that it was like one or two a month so big big shift um, second half of last year yeah that's brilliant that's brilliant and it's, and it's only going to get stronger and bigger. Mm. Um, so when it comes to running an ethical and sustainable business, what would you say your, has been your biggest struggle so far? And can you tell us a bit about how you've overcome it? Well, it's probably the, 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 the fact that it's the disappointment that, that retailers aren't buying into this stuff. That's, that's, and obviously the sales team, you, you know, they, you get them excited about what we're doing. They are excited about what we're doing, but then they, they expect the customers to take an interest in it and they don't at all. So it's keeping everyone committed saying, this is, this is actually the right thing to do. Mm. And we don't care if other people aren't taking notice, but I'm convinced. Mm. And I think you are too. This is the right thing to be doing. So let's stick with it and stay resilient and it will make a difference one day. And I, I, I do see, as I, as I just mentioned, the signs of shoots that actually this, this current year, I think could be the year that it does make a, a difference. And the sales team are getting almost welcomed with open arms because of what we're standing for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think a lot of the, the poor retailers may go out of business through through this current pandemic anyway, which will, will leave the ones that are more aligned yeah. to, to, to this purpose. Yeah. 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 I can see, I can see that it's, um, you've got to really think on your feet, haven't you? And, um, think outside the box and just, yeah, I, it's interesting. I'm just now thinking about the, the conversations that we're having in, in our team and what we're doing. We're coming up with a um, plan to help kids, two different age groups, um, pre-10 and post-10 years old, Mm. um, environmental management, um, 
teaching courses so that um, it gives them something to do at home yeah. working with teachers to deliver those so we've got we're kind of it won't be within the curriculum but at least it'll be something mm. that um, parents can do yeah and, no, absolutely and it wasn't certainly wasn't my idea that was the team that came up with it yeah, yeah. teaching and they were like well, why don't we use that skill set to um, help mums and dads around the around the country and potentially the world mm. Well, some some people should probably put kids on their management teams. Some companies it do them a lot of good. In Germany, Siemens didn't. Did they? Uh, VW, I think, did or tried to. One of them did and succeeded. Feeling it was Siemens, and um, yeah, they've got a teenager, I think, on there. It's bizarre. Yeah, Google it after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> um, what? If you could offer one piece of advice to our listeners, what do you, what could you help them with their purpose, and what would that be? I think the the best thing we did on this was starting those change groups um, and putting the the direction of the company in 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 the people who work for the company so pretty much every single person we're not that big there's only 30 of us so nearly everyone was in one of those groups and not only are they better come (laughs) come up with better ideas than i do but obviously they feel empowered by having a sense of direction of the company and whilst not everyone probably totally gets b corp they all get a part of it you know they get the environmental bit or, or the people bits so which is absolutely fine so delegation of the change to the team and getting people to feel involved with with change is vital there's nothing worse than change being imposed upon people that don't have a clue what's going on which i think is probably the early days of b court was was probably a bit like that when i was saying i was getting all excited about it and they hey what what's going on but now it's totally turned around and it's it's almost the other way around, if anything. Brilliant. And so just to recap uh, on your business, uh, you supply um, smaller shops and um, companies from boutique, niche, um, smaller um, producers and yeah. you're the middleman. So from an environmental management point of view, um, what sort of environmental impact have you and have you been able to reduce it? Yes. Yeah, so we are fortunately actually totally unknowingly being a wholesale business is by its very nature is a carbon reducing business because people are buying retailers are buying 50 plus brands and it's all arriving on one truck rather than 50 vans coming in, small vans coming in from 50 different producers. So the consolidation model, Mm. totally coincidentally, is a carbon reducing model. But we wanted to go further than that. So actually, we we had a big change in our business last year. And the the main reason for doing this was to reduce our carbon. Um, It's to almost bit i'm not a logistics person so very simply put it's less of our stuff goes to hubs in the midlands now and more of it goes straight from the warehouse to customers in in the south of england the northern stuff still goes to the the midlands hub Uh, by doing that and moving the warehouse closer to the m25 we 
reduced we took off and this is an extraordinary figure um but we actually reduced the miles our stuff travels by 1.7 million miles which is 46 percent carbon reduction last year so Yes, I mean it's a great start. I didn't know our stuff travelled that far, but it does. <laughs> <laughs> now again, it, it's a, another. It, 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 again, that it was a tough year last year because that move, not for the the carbon reasons, you know, absolutely the right thing to do. And as it happens, this new logistic partner also much better on the the people side as well. So they've just um, yeah, they're they're very much more aligned. Um, but it, it went it went horribly wrong. I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, we had probably thirty six double level Arctic's moving the stock from one location to another. It it, it went badly pear shaped. We had another two months of of hell. This time though, everyone was totally committed to it. Loads of resilience. Tough time. We got through it and come out of the other end stronger and, and the main reason for that we knew we were doing the right thing yeah um you know with quite often you people make the right decision and there is a certain degree of sacrifice and pain that comes with it when I mean, this this is true on a personal level and a business level but because everyone knew why we were doing this thing they absolutely stuck to it worked ridiculous hours and and got us through the other side and uh yeah, I mean, we've uh, we just just had our, our year end, and we're um, twelve. Despite August being almost a complete write-off because of this carnage, we're we're twelve percent up for the year in terms of turnover. So, it's uh, we came through the other side and uh, uh, have come out of it well. Great, and um, I'm curious to understand. I would imagine you would have run models of what your carbon footprint will be or invite uh, before you did the transition and then after you did it are they kind of equal do you, is are are those models do they work and yeah it, it's um i that was our year end two days ago so we're actually i've got someone working on load of data at the moment so i haven't got those figures but they've actually during the six months or so we've been with them with they've actually moved more of it from going from the warehouse to the customer so that there's actually less now going to the hub than there was in august due to some internal changes at their end so it will be a a, we expect when we've got the numbers that it'll be a bigger number than the 46 that's really nice to hear that's actually really nice to hear because yeah and the main the this is a this is a big it's a big french company called geodis um the partly owned by sncf actually which is the french no um, but they they the previous partner we were with there was you know no, nothing much smaller business but the main problem we had with them is no blinking data and you mm. can only you know do this stuff with some decent data going on as, as you know so um it was impossible to to measure anything previously uh, it's all mm. back of a back of a, of a fag packet whereas them being a much bigger company have all the good data we need to 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 know what we're doing and how it's making a difference brilliant brilliant and could you share any advice or learning with anyone listening to this podcast that you think that would be a good takeaway for them um yeah the 
my main thing and, and a lot of people are doing something but actually secretly wishing they were doing something else there's this a lovely bit i'm sure you may have heard of this before but there's a, a lovely um, bit of japanese philosophy uh, called ikigai mm, no. and it's about happiness and it comes from the it comes from the island of okinawa which is where there's more people living to over 100 than anywhere else in the world. So it's, it's difficult to argue with these guys <laughs> in terms of the longevity. So they say people are at their happiest when they're doing four things in kind of roughly equal measure. One is doing something they love. Mm. Secondly, doing something they're good at. Mm. And I, I think a lot of people are probably in that area. Third, it's doing something you're getting paid for which is always helpful, feed mm. the kids, pay the mortgage. But fourth, and this is the one that some people miss out, it's doing something the world needs. And the great thing about being a purpose-driven company and a B Corp is we, we do love what we do. We think we're quite good at it and we get paid, but we're doing something the world needs. And, and people think when they're, they think, well, doing something for other people is somehow hurts us somewhere, and it's a sacrifice, and it's painful, and maybe maybe I'll have less and if I'm giving more stuff away. But actually, the more you give away, the happier you are, and the more fulfilled you are, and the better business you have anyway. Mm. So it's, it's once people understand giving away isn't, isn't going to make you unhappy, <laughs> Mm. it's actually a good thing to do and you'll be happier and you'll have better people working for you they'll mm. enjoy it more and actually companies that do all this stuff quite often make more profit anyway yeah so yeah. that's the the joy of it really isn't it giving away more actually mm. and means that you mm. have more yourself yeah but some people due to fear probably more than anything else find that very very difficult to do and they're the ones that get stuck and Mm. end up being miserable people and uh, fearful and not, not really going anywhere. But I'm sure there aren't any of those listening. <laughs> no, no. And if there are, that's because they want to change. Absolutely. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, you've written, you've written a book. Yes. And um, it'd be great to understand where we could buy that, where we could understand more about Cotswold Fair. Obviously, all these links will be on our website. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, the book, it's called Forces for Good. Um, it's really, I wanted to, to write a book that helped people understand what being a purpose-driven business was, was about and something that all businesses could get stuff from. They didn't have to be a particularly clever business. They could be a gardening company or a cleaning company. So there's lots of examples in there of stuff that businesses are do to, doing to change the world. Um, so it's broken into the, the kind of, well, initially it was broken into the, the three sections of uh, B Corp, people, planet and profit. But then uh, as I was writing it, I thought, actually, we can't do this unless we change ourselves too. So the fourth section, so actually it's, it's I did chat to John Elkington about this, who came up with a triple bottom line thing anyway. Mm. I said, actually, John, I've changed it. And he wrote the forward, thank God. But um, I've actually got four bottom lines. Is that okay? And the fourth bottom line is yourself. <laughs> it's that icky guy stuff I've just been 
talking yeah. about. So the more I go on this journey, the more I realize actually I need to change. I need to get more compassion in my life and humility and all that stuff. And then I can make a bigger difference in the world. So it's available in on all online booksellers. Um, uh, yeah, they've all got it. Um, Audible as well, which I recorded with my own dulcet tones. That was a tough. Uh, that was a tough job. That was. So, did you, so now <laughs> that's really interesting that you've done that because I've heard a few people that have, and big like uh, not to say that you're not a big author, but you no, know, I'm not. The, the multi, the multi, <laughs> yeah. you know, million pound authors. You've heard some of them say, "Yeah, I kind of regret doing it." myself i kind of should have got someone um and i thought that was an interesting thing to hear and i just how like do you do you feel that or do you feel actually no it was all right no i, I, I probably couldn't afford to get uh, an actor to do it but uh, no actually i because by the time i did that i finished the book quite a while ago this printing mm. process seems to take a while publishing process so it was quite because it was then I did it quite soon before I launched the book. So it was quite a good. Oh crikey, I wrote that, did I? Yeah. So, it was, <laughs> um, yeah, and it, it was it was a good challenge. But I think I think it adds authenticity actually if yeah. if okay. it's the author doing yeah. it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So from a listener's point of view, it don't it didn't make any difference. Like I, I can't remember what book I was reading, but. Um, I was thinking it doesn't matter to me whether you did it or not but he no. think that he no. couldn't have done it and yeah I uh, have had a few um, emails from people my friends who've, who've chosen to to listen in that way rather than read the book <laughs> one of them was a goes on a transatlantic flight and said it was very weird flying over the clouds listening to you Paul <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so... Um, what else? I got... say, yeah, I got, literally got to the runway and we were just taking off and I've fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so there's... Um, that's... I mean, I wrote the book um, because it was a good thing to do, but also it, it, to open up other speaking opportunities. So I, I, I all stopped now due to this current pandemic, but... Um, I do do some talking into other businesses and conferences and stuff on the on the back of the book, which is really, really why I wrote it. So I've got my own website there, paulhargreaves.co.uk. And then Cotswold Fair website is cotswold-fair.co.uk. And uh, if there's any food retailers listening, then uh, obviously we'd be very happy to supply you. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you so much for today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on and um, really enjoyable to understand more about you and Cotswold Fair. Yeah, thanks for having me. Today we've got Paul Hargreaves on from Cotswold Fair. He is a renowned author. He has been running his business for the last 15 years plus 20 years. Um, I have to do the maths on um, the conversation we just had, but absolutely fascinating individual um, running a purpose-driven business. Um, they're a B Corp, and um, we got some really good insights into how his business runs and what his business does, and the problems that they've had and how they've overcome them, which 
I personally think is a really good takeaway and it's nice to be able to learn from other people's mistakes. Sorry, Paul. Um, but, um, yeah, that was brilliant. It was, um, really, really interesting. I hope you enjoy it.